This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 530 for October 19th, 2016. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Macworld Podcast. Well, it's almost that time of year. No, not election day, but the time in which we speculate whether we're going to get new Macs or not. Are we going to get new Macs? Susie Oaks, executive editor of Macworld. Gosh, I hope so. Oh. We've been very good this year, so I, I, I feel, feel like, like if... Tim isn't going to bring us some. Maybe Santa will. I think the, the elves are working on it right now. Maybe the Krampus will come and carry us away in his sack. I don't know. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this year, all bets are off. Like, maybe we're just going to get coal. It's, uh, it's a possibility. Um, folks, sorry about last week's late uh, podcast episode. If you're So late. We didn't get it up till Saturday. It's... Which- uh, there was there was certificate authentication madness last week, so we were running slightly late, and then um, something went wrong with some part of the internet that caused many sites. You may have seen this that use uh, SSL or use you know HTTPS uh, in the URL. Uh, to fail because there's something about certificate revocation. I never got a full answer, even though I'm sort of interested in it. It looked like something went wrong at one certificate authority, and that led to sites giving you uh, throwing up errors and not loading things. And SoundCloud uh, was among those. So it took a while for that to clear, and you clear caches. And anyway, um, the internet is a complicated thing. But now um, you get another one, like bam. So, so Susie, do you know about how Christmas is celebrated in the Netherlands? Uh, no. Is Have this you a ever joke? been in a Turkish spot? No, sorry. It's, um, <laughs> it's, I was just reminding me of the Krampus. Is, uh, I have a friend who's Canadian and she married a Dutch man and uh, lives in the Netherlands and, um, uh, uh, with, has four children. And, uh, Christmas there is fascinating. And folks, you should read up on it. But there is this tradition that, uh, Santa, uh, uh comes by boat sometime after Thanksgiving. And then he and his quote unquote helpers, uh, you may not want to search for center classes helpers at work. Might not. There's some uh, racial issues there. Very oh, fascinating. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. So, um, but they hang around for like weeks, and every night parents have to do this elaborate, like tiny gifts and candies, and the neighbors are involved. This whole thing. Then Christmas rolls around, and they're like, ah, eh, Christmas dip, ah, whatever. Let's go to church. So. For a Canadian and an American, I think this is tough. But I was just thinking about, you know, how we are always waiting. We have weeks of anticipation, product ship and whatever. And then it's like, oh, it's the end of the year. And oh, it's, it's kind like of a tech down. advent. We are in a period of waiting. <laughs> tech advent. Someone should make that. I'm lighting a candle calendar. every week that oh. we don't get new Macs. Yeah. Well, I think one of the signs we had was that uh, there's been no invitation issued for yeah. an event next week, right? Yeah, so if there was going to be an event, we'd probably know about it. Maybe they, I mean, they did two events a few times, but maybe it was just really a pain in the butt and they decided that the they just got diminished returns from the second event and they were going to do something else and we'll never see two events again. I don't know. I don't know. I I just wonder, well, they could, I mean, they could push it out. They could just say, uh, you know, here's an announcement. We got these are shipping in a week or whatever, but it just feels like we're getting towards unlikely. I've been reading various sites that track rumors and have insiders and look at the supply chain and talk to people in, uh, in China and elsewhere. And I feel like there is, n- I don't see a clear statement from reliable sources that makes me feel like there will absolutely be max this fall. It seems a little late now to do it, but. Boy, are they overdue. So overdue. Oh. There's a rumor just this morning that the MacBook Pro might go USB-C instead of regular USB. And it's like, okay, like these, I saw that. these port rumors are, are fun, but I just want to know when the computer's coming it's, out. It's a very it's a very frustrating thing. I just uh, wrote a review of a product, that uh, uh, USB-C product that fits. Um, it's just how strange the industry is right now. It's the usb 
what is it called? It's the Hub Plus Mini from a company called Nanda, and they made a tiny dock, which is quite good. I don't have an Apple Cinema display, but it's designed for people who own a DisplayPort version of the Apple Cinema display and the 2015 MacBook. It's that specific because oh. there's, there's a lot of Apple Cinema displays out there because of chipset issues. A, it can't work with the 2016 MacBook. B, it can't work with the Thunderbolt oh Apple Cinema display. So there's some overlap and they wanted to make a more <laughs> robust product and the chipsets don't exist for them to make something more sophisticated. So they put this out there and they're going to, they're kind of waiting. It sounds like they had an announcement for something called Hub Plus that was going to be uh, more sophisticated and they're just not confident about being able to make something that uh, works well enough with enough different devices. So I, I still feel every time I talk to people about USB-C stuff and test it. There's some good equipment out there, but it is still um, still a mess. I, I got this long email from somebody who uh, does uh, kind of like a hobbyist uh, amateur battery uh, and cable tester. He's really interested in the field. It's kind of like his his sideline. He, uh, he sent me some really detailed information that's interesting about uh, cabling, and it's so complicated. It's not like every user has to understand it all, but holy cow, it's just, I don't know. It's a little overwhelming, and with more USB-C equipment coming all the time. It's just more to more to manage. Um, oh, so Susie, before we get going, I wanted to mention uh, there was a 10. For folks who haven't been paying attention, there's a 10.0.3 update for iOS 10. And uh, if you have problems with a iPhone 7 or 7 Plus, this fixes cellular connectivity problems that were reported. So the uh, general devices get it right away. I also saw a stat that only about uh, half of iOS users have upgraded to iOS 10. That was surprising to me. Really? Did, yeah, I saw a number. It said something like 53%. And I don't know how extensively they surveyed it. Um, you know, there's all these different methodologies because you can look at web traffic to sites. You can look at um, apps that are uh, popular apps sometimes collect that information as analytics. So they know, you know, Instagram, I'm right. sure Instagram isn't providing that information, but other apps often provide analytics in exchange for getting details themselves. But I'd be surprised by that. I don't know if Apple uh, used to put out update percentages when it seemed to be more relevant and uh, and doesn't now. But uh, everything that can run iOS 9, I, I believe so, can run iOS 10, right? That's a whole entire generation they or something. They did drop thing. a couple. The iPad 4 got yeah, dropped? Yeah, they dropped like an iPad and iPad I think the iPhone 4S or something. So like – so maybe – you know, 95% of devices by units that are running iOS 9. So you yeah. think, um, but I don't know. I don't know. We're, I'm still waiting. 10.1. We're still on the beta. I think beta four came out to developers. Um, so there's that. Uh, so the big news this week, is the Apple car or rather the lack of an Apple car. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is one of those things where it's like a, an unconfirmed product might not be happening so it's like a tree falls in the woods you know but if it wasn't ever really a tree did it really fall yeah exactly uh you can't be late on something you didn't announce i mean this is a continuous problem with apple about the watch being late although we kind of know the original watch was late because we have enough information got out about the original timetable and the announcement cycle was weird and so we kind of know they delivered it later than they planned but if you don't and that's announce- kind of the situation here too, yeah. because like we knew Project Titan was a real thing. Um, it had been not confirmed, but you know they had kind of like winked and nodded at it a little bit publicly, and then they were hiring people. Like they they had a lot of people working on it. Yeah, they're so- contracting test space um, down in California. Yeah. They're from places where they could have closed 
uh, you know, uh, testing r- uh, routes on a military base and or ex-military base, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it had, you know, the, I think the report is there were over a thousand people working in the division. So it was a real thing. And here's the thing is, I know Apple now has hundreds of thousands of employees worldwide, although a lot of them are related to retail. Uh, so the account gets kind of um, ballooned that way. But it's, they have so much money. Susie, they have so <laughs> goddamn much money. They really do like, have a lot of money. Like they should be doing moonshots all the time. Like they're in the perfect position. Like let us drop a billion dollars on this thing that we don't know is achievable or not. Because if it is, it's our next hundred billion dollar line of business. If it's not, meh, you know, we, we tried yeah. and we need to find the next thing that's going to be, you know, when the iPhone peters out, which will happen. I mean, it's not only – it'll go into a maintenance – you know, it's still years away before the smartphone market is totally saturated. But Apple is not BlackBerry. They're not going to sit there and wait and ride the rocket down and crash. They're going to be constantly working on the next thing. And if the watch wasn't the thing, even though it's a good line of business for them, it's not a big one. The iPad turned out to not be quite the thing, even though, again, it's a big, profitable line of business. Um, they should be doing moonshots, and I expect we o- we'd only know about a small fraction of them. Yeah, we definitely don't know everything they're doing. This seems like it got really big. It had so many, you know, employees and like you said they were looking for testing facilities. But you learn a lot, especially in Silicon Valley, like they really have this ethos of that you learn as much if not more from your failures as you do from your successes. I'm not calling the Apple car a failure because it, you know, wasn't a thing and um, exactly. and we don't and we don't know like if you know, we we just don't know enough about the story to know if they end up shipping exactly what they wanted to ship, and they had to build their own cars to kind of like build that. But yeah, so now Bloomberg is reporting what we're what we're basically talking about. Just to back up a little oh, bit, yeah, is um, Bloomberg is reporting that Project Titan is being scaled back, and they're no longer trying to produce their own car. They're um, refocusing on producing the software platform, like the autonomous driving system that they could then sell partner maybe buy a car company and make something but they're they're focusing on the software which seems like an apple thing but it also sort of seems like not an apple thing because they don't really license you know software to other hardware manufacturers that's not a thing that they do and they don't really um if they're going to enter a brand new thing Sometimes they wait for someone else to kind of get there and then they come in and do it better. And like this is still such early days, like no one has really shipped like a fully autonomous car. But, you know, they're coming. They're coming fast. They're all going to need software. Usually, you know, software platform interfaces that you find in the car are terrible. So Apple has an opportunity here like they they could do they could ship something really great. It doesn't have to be a car. Um, but that's that's basically what what uh, Bloomberg is saying that they're they're going more towards the software side than See, the making their own car. And this makes no sense to me because uh, a little over a year ago, I spent uh, months researching uh, robotics and uh, uh, computer vision. I talked to a lot of people on the like factory side, the uh, uh, academic side, but I also talked to the folks who make or who did who provided the sensors for uh, Tesla. And I think now we're no longer the provider. I'm blanking out on the name at the moment. It's a company that's based in Israel and uh, they make a lot of the uh, the sensors for the in- or, uh, cameras and integrative uh, chips and so forth for the industry. And the thing is, uh, self-driving car is a robot. It just looks like a car. 
it's a robot that carries you and your friends around, <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's a happy thing. And uh, you don't make a robot where you make the software in one place and the hardware in another. It's just like Apple's products. Uh, robots are going to be uh, tightly integrated. I mean, the best ones, the ones that have to be this responsive and deal with things in real time. Yeah, because not... they're learning and they're doing stuff. Yeah, and they have. you can't like say, well, look, you know, we have this arbitrary hardware platform and we can stick software in it. It's. I mean, this is how, this got Boeing messed up at some level. It's not a software and hardware thing. Boeing, uh, for its uh, 787, the Dreamliner, they decided to, uh, because of tax reasons and country uh, negotiations, they split up where parts of the plane were developed around the world. And then to assemble, some of them were flown on the dream lifter was a modified cargo plane, uh, flown to Everett, Washington, North of here, where there's these uh, largest, uh, single freestanding building in the, in the world or something, uh, where they assemble the planes and they got there and they're like, huh, these things don't fit together. And you're like, well, didn't they have, I mean, I remember reading these stories a few years ago and you're like, did Boeing not have people on the ground in Italy and Japan and these other providers while they're building the wings and all these other parts? Did they? Li- and apparently, they did not. They just were like, all right, make it to this spec, send it to us, and we'll plug it in. And that's one reason the 787s got delayed so much is these problems with uh, third parties they were uh, Boeing was contracting with and integrating everything. But I feel like that's kind of that idea of like the Apple car. It's like, would you have um, – you know, Chevrolet, you know, Chevrolet, I don't know, GM or something making a car. Well, not even them. Like, who is going to be the car maker who makes a car that wants to plug in Apple software? And where do you, as two separate companies, if you're not like a, a division of each that's working together, like, how do you fit those things together? You can't just say, well, here's a spec, just put software in it. It, yeah. just, I don't, it doesn't make sense to me. So, Especially I, for a car that has to, you know, drive itself and not kill anybody. Yeah. And I think all the major car makers are going to have their own solutions in place. I mean, you could see like CarPlay plus, plus, plus maybe, right? CarPlay is kind of Yeah. If they go just now. infotainment, but they, you know, yeah. they're already doing that, that they don't need I just don't all these get engineers. It. I, the only thing so I can the, think like this is maybe a jer- article. What's that? That's right. Oh, sorry. Um, The Bloomberg article basically blames leadership. And we've actually kind of heard this story in Apple before. Do you remember when they shipped one of the iPads and then they shipped like a new iOS version and it didn't run on the iPad because the people who were making (laughs) iOS didn't know that the iPad existed. Yeah. So we had to wait until like 6.1 or whatever to be able to put iOS 6 on an iPad. I think it was iOS 6. I don't remember. It was a while ago. So... Apple's had this problem before where they're so secret about what they're working on that people in one, you know, one hand doesn't know what the other is doing. And you can make the team like really, really, really big and say that this one team's going to do everything. But that doesn't seem like what happened. The Bloomberg thing is blaming leadership. And then Bob Mansfield came in and took over and was like, look, this isn't going to work. And then a bunch of engineers we're leaving. They had some layoffs. So uh, hundreds of people have left as the reports. And it's like people can track that versus uh, via uh, LinkedIn and, and uh, other sources. You can mm-hmm. tell when people shift their jobs. So I think that it's not documented, but I think it sounds pretty clear that that's, you know, that's uh, accurate, that the team has reduced in size substantially. Yeah. And people have left because they're like, well, I'm not, I came here to work on a dying car and now I'm going to be, I don't know, pushing paper. Uh, yeah, and a, if you're in the leading, you know, curve of this industry, there's going to be a lot of places for for you to go. So you want to go somewhere that's going to do like really do it. I just can't imagine wanting to create a car from scratch. I, I mean, I, it, 
I know this isn't my business. I say that like, well, what? You're not a car maker, Glenn. Why would you? You don't have two hundred billion dollars in the bank. Well, they weren't a phone maker before they made a phone. No, but that, I, that worked out great. A phone was a. You're, I know, I know, but you're like, but it's a, a computer, a, and then like a, they're, they're looking into the future, and cars are just going to be, yeah, like you said, robots, like big computers with wheels. I just wonder. Yeah, I just wonder what they think they can put in there. But again, they want to experiment and test, and they need to know. So even if the entire division is essentially uh, testing how computers and mobiles and other wearable devices will work. I, I thought originally when this got leaked, I was like, you know, I bet they're building a prototype that's never going to see the light of day. That's entirely a way for them to test how they're going to work with car makers and better integrate things. And then it came out, no, no, they're trying to build a car. It seemed very credible. And now it's pulled back to maybe it's a platform. And this makes me feel again, this may all be internal prototyping that will never see the light of day, or they may develop something and spin it off as a division with a car maker. But Firing up a car manufacturing operation is not – I don't even think you can do that in a decade. There's a Chinese manufacturer of automobiles with the entire you know, support of the Chinese economy and government that uh, – I forget where they're at now. They're years into development and it's – it is. I mean, making a phone is trivial compared to making a car. It makes you know. It can say that it makes sense, but the regulatory environment, the safety. Yeah. Uh, in America, you can only sell cars in most states through dealerships, and um, I've wondered if Tesla. You know, so there's discussion of would Apple buy Tesla. And Tesla's valuation as such, maybe it makes sense, maybe it doesn't. Tesla's pushing a different direction, but it's intersection with lithium-ion battery production. Like maybe Tesla is ultimately going to be a solar cell and um, lithium-ion company that happens to yeah, make cars. Yeah, they could sell the car part to Apple. Yeah, so I don't, I mean, right. So, but the dealership thing, uh, Tesla and other companies have been challenging these weird state laws that that require, that, that prohibit cars from being sold essentially directly to customers. They have to go through dealers and people are like, I don't have to go to a bookstore to buy a book. I can buy it through Amazon. I don't have to go to a yeah, or, you, you can't know, buy a Tesla in New Jersey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And bookstores don't have to buy all their books via book distributors. And um, Washington State, we had a law that got repealed where all alcohol, I think, had to be purchased by retailers from distributors. They couldn't go to the maker. Like, there's all these things that put friction and thus cost in the way. And I've wondered, is Apple sitting it out until Tesla and others break down all the barriers in the system, put all the money and lawsuits in? And they're like, thanks, guys, we're coming in now. They kind of clap their hands and I don't know. I don't know. Would you buy an Apple car if Apple made one? Would you buy one point? (laughs) Oh, gosh, no, no. Kari, you take me to... uh, Kari, or say, hey, Kari. Kari, take me to uh, <laughs> hey, Kari. Take me to work. Okay, I'll take you to war. No, no, my I My son work. would. My son would buy an Apple car. He's so, he asked me every like week or so, are they still working on those robot cars? Because he's cars. just, he's really into the idea. So you think a they're going to be trans- that He can get in and it could drive him somewhere and he doesn't need me. And I mean, he's just really, you know, he likes rescue bots and those are basically autonomous cars. Would his, but then would, they transform and fight fires. That's so what I think, say. Would his Apple car be a transformer yeah, of some kind? I keep, t- I keep clarifying to him. I'm like, you know, they're not transformers, right? They're just cars that can drive themselves. And he's like, yeah, whatever. Maybe that's what they're working on. Fly, yeah. could be flying Maybe cars? Apple will like finally crack that nut. Because anyone cars. can make a car that drives itself, but can it transform into a robot that can be your pal and help you fight crime? This seems very reasonable to me. <laughs> uh, it's what everybody wants. I mean, what are you going to sell? But I mean, you know, this this gets into the big challenge we are talking about before, which is what is what's Apple's next act? And it seems – so some people can say that and then they're like, Apple is doomed because – you know – 
you and I don't say Apple is doomed, but we know they need the next thing because they are not a BlackBerry. They're not going to ride, you know, they're not going to be uh, uh, <laughs> hopping on that, that bomb, <laughs> waving their hat going, Yahoo, Yahoo, as it heads <laughs> towards the ground and blows everything up. Their Apple knows that everything they do is destined for failure. Isn't, I think it's an incredible corporate philosophy and it must be difficult because you're like this wonderful thing I made. I mean, there's sort of a... Um, I don't know, there's a, a sense of self-acceptance, maybe it falls inside the Buddhist tradition of the a notion that you make something that's going to be destroyed. That, that yeah. um, you know, we have six years in this product. Like our estimate is this new Mac, you know, iMac we made, uh, we'll have a new design in three years. Or the iPhone, yeah, you really like that feature. It's, we're going to get the iPad, iPod Nano, we're, we're going to get rid of that. We're going to kill it. So I don't know, every time. That's a good point. They do kill their darlings. And I mean, if they were BlackBerry, they would still be pushing iPods at us long after, <laughs> you know, we've we've moved on from that. And the iPod was the biggest thing ever. Like it's everyone was like, holy cow, they're such geniuses. I can't believe it. Like Apple turned around because of this little iPod. And now it's like they it's over and they know it. But they're, they're always looking for the next thing. So it might not be a car. It might still be a car. Like, you know, you can lay off people and then staff back up again. Like None of this is permanent. Um, so, yeah, we'll see, which I feel like we end every segment with. Like, we'll see what we'll they're going to do. Uh, no I still knows. think wearables has a huge uh, amount of growth to it because yep. we're at the beginning stage of it. There's a lot of work with materials and fabrics, textiles, and other kinds of integration. And smart clothes, even though it sounds stupid right now, <laughs> is, you know, it's in our future for certain applications. And um, especially because people are always connected the notion that you would have a jacket or smart things you carried with you that did some other function you know an umbrella with solar cells that makes no sense a parasol with solar cells that might be better um you know or there's all you know maybe something that extracts uh power from your emotion or there's like all of these kinds of things we don't know how that's going to turn out but we know that there's so much research for it um i'm fascinated by you know google glass you know 6.0 which is just a contact lens with connectivity that does augmented reality uh, and um, provides you with resources, but it's not overt. No one knows you're wearing it and has maybe limited capabilities, but it gets better. Like those contact lenses that offer vision improvement and augmented reality are not uh, in the realm of science fiction. They have things in the lab that are really interesting. In fact, I think we talked about this years ago, but Google Glass rose out of a University of Washington researcher who was working primarily on context, contact lens size um, enhanced, uh, you know, products and they got them out of there and they, you know, created Google glass, which was sort of a weird experiment. Um, but then we have something like, uh, did we talk about the Snapchat goggles, whatever those are called, the Snapchat glasses? No, I don't think we ever did. Well, those are kind of cool. I saw them and they're sort of ridiculous, but they're, they're point of view goggles. So you're not getting augmented reality. They just record what you see. That's mm -hmm. a totally different thing. And they're stylish and they're for a particular market, but it's a very interesting idea and very different than augmented reality. And it got a very positive initial response because they weren't trying to sell anything but that you could just be recording your life and it would be from your point of view. And then you'd have this video that you could do something with and, you know, and have those moments available to you, which is a much easier, simpler sell. And I think yeah. the same thing, like even if you had contact lenses that offered limited features, but could say record video or do something, it's a much simpler sell than you're going to talk to your contact lenses or talk to your glasses. Um, 
augmented reality came up recently. There's uh, Tim Cook uh, was uh, giving an interview to BuzzFeed and uh, talked about his interest in uh, augmented reality. Uh, this is why he was visiting uh, Japan not too just a few days ago, uh, and um, we just had the uh, Nintendo or sorry the uh, uh, Pokemon Go um, thing that happened and then sort of disappeared. I assume it's still popular, but it's gone like invisible to me. Yeah, it's receded a little bit. People are still playing. We even have some people here still playing, but it's not. It's, it, the phenomenon has died down a little bit. Also, it's not summer, so people are in this continent, so uh, or this yeah. uh, hemisphere, so people aren't outside as much. Uh, but I don't see those like groups of people, like the congregations of people, don't uh, seem as ready. But augmented reality, listeners, if you're not familiar with the difference between augmented reality and virtual reality, it's just augmented reality is an overlay on what you're already seeing in the world, as opposed to virtual reality, which creates its own environment. And um, I I remember years ago, some of those early uh, Urban Spoon and some other restaurant things, they had an AR mode and you'd hold up your phone and you'd mm-hmm. scan around and it would overlay all the restaurants and reviews near you, or restaurants near you rather, and the reviews of them. So if you're trying to find a place to eat, you could just hold up the phone and look around like, oh, there's, you know, you could search and do everything else. But it'd be like, oh, yeah, there's a, you know, that place got four stars on Yelp and they serve, you know, ramen. Great. I'm going there. And um, that was a very small example. But uh, I'm, and, you know, Pokemon Go was exactly that. You're overlaying this game on top of the real world. And I think it's, I don't know, does that interest you at all? I'm kind of excited about enhancing what I see around me when I want it as opposed to being all the time in another environment. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's an easier sell, as you said before, about um, the other stuff, because you don't have to completely put on a whole helmet. I mean, there's lots of augmented reality examples right now. So Pokemon Go, you mentioned. Um, yeah, there's other ones that show you, you know, like transit stops and you like you could hold it up to a bus stop and see like where where that bus comes and, and when, when it's coming. Um and where it's going to go. Um, there's like translation apps that can translate signs. Um, Snapchat will, you know, augment your face with some, you know, uh, you open your mouth and barf a rainbow and you get a unicorn <laughs> horn. Like that's augmented reality. Wait, I can open my so, mouth and barf a rainbow? No one has told me about this. Yeah, the Snapchat filters wow. are so much fun. That's so, cool. um, and those And those are basically augmented reality. Um, even if you like you're watching football and they show like the yellow line on the field that shows where the first down is, like that's augmented reality. That's not really there. They're just overlaying it on the screen. So, yeah, it's an easier sell because y- you don't have to be totally sealed off as Tim Cook's said um and you're not wearing a thing on your whole head like vr still makes me sick um and i just you know i don't really like it but and and then yeah you're seeing the the information visually which is also a a, a advantage for me because um you don't have to like talk to it so that's kind of like the way things are going now where like they're there's VR, there's AR, and there's um, uh, artificial intelligence, which is, you know, mixed into everything. But, you know, these voice assistants, like those are the other big thing. And of those three, I feel like the least awkward and the most <laughs> natural is going to be AR because you're in the world you've been in and you're just seeing things that aren't really there but are giving you information. You're not walking around oh. talking to yourself and you're not, you know, sticking your head in a, a thing that looks like a round microwave. Okay, so here's rampant speculation with no basis in reality. 
Here we go. Um, <laughs> so have you seen the demos? I think some cars even have this feature now that uh, it's basically – well, there, at one point, there was this interest in doing heads-up displays where you'd wear a thing and lasers would paint images on your eyeballs, right? And they're using them. I think they may be in some fighter jets even, I think, use heads-up. Uh, and, and then there were an alternate version of it. It was it – would uh, a heads-up would paint a screen in front of you. So it was augmented reality on your windscreen in a car. And I – I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm making this up. I don't know why I don't know this. I believe there are systems now that will paint on your windshield so you can see better what's going on ahead of you. Um, now that's something Apple could conceivably integrate with a car maker, where they provide the tools to provide like a CarPlay heads up. Uh, and the reason this is useful is because you can have cameras that say see in the infrared uh, or. Um, or have a better field of vision. Like, think about a backup camera in a car. I'm sure, um, uh, have you driven? I don't have one of these. The cars that have the backup inside cameras. Yeah, I don't, I'm, I, my car doesn't have it, but I've driven one with yeah. the backup. It's yeah. not exactly augmented reality, but it's giving you, it's like it is augmenting your brain by giving you a vision that you can't physically obtain. There's no way in the car to see that. And, you know, obviously that when it gets integrated into a car, there's cars that self-park. They use the cameras and they will automatically parallel park for you, which is kind of awesome also. Um, but think about being able to drive down a road and because of all the camera systems, some of which are in infrared, you're driving at night, you're tired, uh, your vision may not be perfect and it's painting all the lines on the screen. It's painting all the cars ahead of you. It's dimming the headlights behind you so that you're not blinded when people pass. It's giving you information. It might even give you a warning, like you're getting too close to the car in front of you or or warning. Sudden slowdown ahead may reduce speed or automatically reduce speed. Like all of those kinds of things would be intense. And Apple could, I mean, there's still an integration with the car system, but they could be providing an information component that is not necessarily operating the self-driving car aspect. So it could be like mm. CarPlay for your windscreen. Um, and when you don't have to look away, if you're looking at, you're actually looking at reality and you're seeing more information, you're a better driver rather than looking down at a thing or mapping information. If it shows up on, and again, I think there are some cars that will offer like a little bit of a projection. So the directional information shows up in your field of vision without erasing what you can see. So those kinds of things make much more sense to me. Like, you know, Apple Maps, well, you know, Apple Maps is much better than it used to be. Um, I can use Apple Maps, I feel like, reliably now, although I still always turn to Google Maps out of habit. But uh, that kind of thing makes makes sense, and it ties in. But Cook talking about augmented reality, I think, is a signal. People wondered if Apple would do virtual reality, and I wonder if this is, you know, you have to read the tea leaves. Does this mean they're less interested in that, which is a, you know, at least for a bit is gaming, maybe scientific purposes and so forth. It doesn't necessarily hit their core sort of general consumer audience, that products are, you know, even photography, yeah. which they've emphasized. I mean, it, you could do some virtual reality stuff with like design. I mean, the HoloLens is really pushing design, but again, that's augmented reality. And then um, it could be really good for education, which Apple, you know, has always prided itself on. But it's not—that's not really its bread and butter anymore. And yeah. the devices that it sells would really be more natural fit with augmented reality. Um, I agree. So, yeah, that's a good point. But, I mean, since everything is getting more, you know, AI, and they've been talking this week about AI, he mentioned it again in Japan, and they're opening uh, a, an innovation center, you know, I, I think outside Tokyo, that is probably going to be working on AI. So the articles were like, oh, maybe it'll be improving Siri. But that kind of learning can can involve, can 
you know, affect all of these platforms. And I, I said before that they don't really make platforms and, and license them, but they are kind of making platforms that enhance the products that they have. So, mm. you know, they've got HealthKit and ResearchKit and HomeKits, and they don't make any of the hardware that works with that. So maybe, you know, their car project is is some kind of way to bridge you know, what what they're doing. Because, uh, like, our computers are not just our computers anymore. Now they're our phones. And pretty soon, you know, they're going to be our homes and our cars. So maybe they're just sort of figuring out the best way to to bridge all of the their existing products to these, you know, oh, new, like more, more techie areas that, that we're going to be getting uh, into. Well, you know, something we didn't talk about, but I think relates directly to that is that the, the you know, the new smartphone platform play is AI. Google has its own technology. Mm-hmm. Apple has it. Samsung just acquired Viv, which was made by uh, Apple uh, engineers who left, or I'm sorry, people, the people who made Siri, uh, which was acquired by Apple, they were at the company for a bit. They left and they later founded Viv. Now Viv has been acquired by Samsung. And despite Samsung's short-term problems, it's still, you know, the major soft, uh, smartphone company besides Apple, and we'll see with Google's. They should go start another one and then sell it to Amazon, and then start another one and sell it to Google. There are people, start who, another one there are people who do that. Serial entrepreneurs are the same thing. Yep. You just have to watch out for the non-compete and patent. But uh, people have done that three or four times, I think, in certain products. So you could say, you know, is a car maker like is General Motors, is um, you know Subaru or Mitsubishi? I don't even know. I'm not a car person. I don't know all the brands. It's some major BMW. Are they all going to develop their own separate AI? Do they have the capability? to develop it? The answer is probably no. They can do domain-specific AI. So they can do deep learning and other techniques to get their car driving. Like in that specific case, they have their own proprietary stuff that's going to work well. In some cases, they are licensing parts of it, but the biggest companies aren't. Um, But uh, Apple could be the, okay, you have your car AI for driving. We're going to be the assistant AI and information cloud for everything else you do. So you don't have to build a mapping division. You don't have to build a restaurant information, you know, review division. Mm-hmm. You don't have to build a answer general queries or emergency response or whatever. Um, Apple could be the information cloud AI component and every self-driving car is going to have a continuous internet connection. Like I think that's an inevitability for updates and information and just as a basic feature people want. So maybe that's the integrated point. So Apple will have nothing to do with the car driving part and everything to do with everything except the driving part. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. I mean, like, so now car kit, like you get in your car and it recognizes you because it has a Bluetooth or a wired connection to your phone. It knows your contacts. It knows everything you've looked up in maps recently. It knows your calendar appointments. It knows, you know, where you live, where you work, which way you're going to be going. Um, So if you take that, you know, to its next logical step, um, this could be, you know, the... They, they could expand the platform into to something that just, you know, knows you and predicts what you're going to do and, and where you're going to do it and I how like it. before you have to really tell it. I like it. Let's uh, patent the idea and sell it to them and we're all okay. we're good. Now we'll put this in the time capsule so in the future when it turns out they do this, we can say, we, we knew we made the analysis way back when. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, Speaking of augmented reality, in part, uh, moving a story we're going to talk about, um, the the 7 Plus. So we've talked quite a bit about the iPhone 7 Plus, its two cameras, the fact that stereoscopic photography allows you to create depth maps in software and that the 
10.1 beta feature portrait lets you do this. Um, you know, lets the phone create these depth maps that let it know where objects are and sort of silhouette them and fuzz the background, give you a sharp near focus. And the same technology could be used in a future release, maybe by third parties, maybe eventually by Apple uh, to uh, let you map things, uh, either map things onto reality accurately because it, it knows the depth. It can help your car tell how far away something exactly. is before you hit it. It all comes back to the car. You need more cameras than that. But but uh, but uh, you just commissioned uh, your in-house photographer to do a fashion shoot with a iPhone 7 Plus and uh, using the 10.1 portrait beta feature. So how did that turn out? I was looking at the photos. It was so fun. So it came out really, really good. Um, our guy, Adam, he's on the video team. He's kind of our shooter cinematographer. He also does some editing, but he's got an amazing eye and he's also a fashion guy. So he does this all the time, like hires models and, and goes out on fashion shoots to experiment with techniques and equipment and just taking really, really awesome pictures. So we hired a model and went we tested it at a few different places indoors with um, different lighting conditions and then we went outdoors and so he had his SLR with him and he wasn't like oh my fashion photographer Adam gonna ditch my SLR for an iPhone he just kind of wanted to see what it could do um, how the bokeh effect would compare this wasn't a formal review since this is still in beta it wasn't part of the iPhone 7 review it was just an experiment we did for fun but the photos came out so good he was really impressed and Adam is an Android guy so he you know had kind of as soon as he heard the announcement about the iPhone he was like oh, I really want to check out this camera because I'm a camera nerd but there's no way it's going to be good enough that you know I'm going to want to switch from Android back to iPhone and by the end of the shoot he was like okay I'm a little jealous I'm like do you want to keep it for a few days and just think about it so yeah he was really jealous um, so we put up a lot of the photos and we did um so 10.1 by default will keep your regular photo as well as the depth, um, the, the depth of field kind of blurred bokeh photo. So you can look side by side and we learned a lot just from putting them side by side and seeing what it had done. So like with an SLR, you know, you have the things that are in the same plane of focus will have the same focus, but then as soon as you get out of that plane, the focus will shift very gradually. And with the iPhone 7 Plus in portrait mode, it was really just masking the face, almost like Snapchat would do. How mm -hmm. you when you put the filter on, you see it like put a mask over your face, and then it was just keeping the face and then blurring everything in the back. So he's like, you know, if you are good at masking, you can do this in Photoshop, but it's super cool that the camera is doing it, you know, by itself in real time. But I mean, we, so we had some kind of close-ups of her face where she had tilted her face, which means one eye is much closer to us than the other, but they were in the same plane of focus in, wow. the, in the, in the image. So, and they shouldn't have been like the, the eye that was a little further away should have been like just, slightly blurrier and then as soon as you fell off her face she had like hair kind of next to her face and as soon as you left like her skin the hair was immediately like very very blurred where it really it would go more gradually than that so we learned a lot of things just by by looking at them oh that's good so i see a lot of face front shots and then there's ones with the face at an angle and those are great for comparison uh for that reason, right, is the face, yeah. and even you know, this is the thing: the the um, bokeh effect is um, the blurring of the background. But the mm -hmm. the notion of those kinds of photos is that 
your um, I heard a portrait photographer talking about this on it was some like I don't know what reality show I was watching. It was like America's Next. I don't know. It was like a it was a show where they were trying to get some actors styled, and they took them to like one of the best uh, portrait photo- or headshot photographer in L.A. And he like works out of his garage because he just knows exactly what he's doing. He opens it up, puts a roll of seamless paper behind him. He shoots in natural light, and he, it was. But he was talking about this, and I remember being so struck. And I've heard many photographers talk about it since, but I just liked the way he was saying, like, I'm taking a picture that looks like how your eyes work. And you recognize that. I'm saying that sort of badly. But so when you look at somebody, you look at a person, you're close up and you're in sort of, you know, your brain is in portrait mode. Your focus is really just on a very thin plane of vision, but we don't realize it because our vision is so good at filling in detail. If you actually, if you pay strict attention when you're looking at someone's face, tell them you're doing this because otherwise you seem like a weirdo. You can actually (laughs) tell that your vision has not, you are out of focus everywhere else, but you don't realize it because you fill Mm -hmm. it in. So when you take a photo with a very shallow depth of field of a face, it actually snaps. Like that's how he does his headshots. And that's why headshots have that very, very shallow uh, field because you feel like you're there with the person looking at them. It's an incredible association. So, um, I think it's a powerful mm. effect. It's going to be horribly overused, but it's still you're trying you're yeah. you're bringing an effect of, of your visual perception to a different medium where in 2D you're seeing something that feels to you like the reality you're used to experience. Yeah, and then there were you know there were a couple other just little things that we noticed. So like uh, how I mentioned it saves, you know, the original kind of unprocessed photo. It's a JPEG, so it's processed, but the 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 unfiltered um, version and then and then the bokeh version. The bokeh version is half the file size. So it's really throwing away like a lot of data. So Adam went in to try to edit them. I mean, during the shoot, you know, oh, he was yeah. really impressed, but then he was like, okay, so my next step would be to edit it. And um, iOS 10 can export in raw, but since this, you know, is processing it so much in the camera and the, the iOS camera app, itself doesn't export in raw you have to get third-party apps to do that so he was like oh maybe apple will add raw export to this portrait mode but that seems really unlikely just based on how much processing they're doing it would be weird for them to then say oh and you get you know a 16-bit raw file that then you can go edit more in photoshop it it technically can i've had this discussion with some of the photo app makers too who are making a raw and other uh, add-on or or making versions of their apps that support raw uh, export and lens selection, the raw data, like once you process it, it's not raw. So yeah. you lose all. So one thing that Apple could do because they're processing depth maps, there, there's actually the potential that they could give you uh, – so a third-party developer conceivably and, – and Apple hasn't done this yet. It's not in 10.1. We don't know if they're going to do it. Apple could conceivably dump – all of the raw output, like both images it's captured and all the depth map information in some, there are standard formats for that, to a third party app, which could then take the depth map and the raw information and perform its own analysis. Uh, or you could export it to, you know, a, like a desktop software. I don't know what exists now that lets you combine different images and use depth maps. There must be software out there, but I doubt it's very user friendly. Uh, you know, it's probably focused on uh, AI and robotics. Is it something like Lytro where you can kind of change the focus after the fact because well, it captured so much? Potentially. I think Lytro had the, the technique that Lytro claims, and I never looked at the internal representation, 
but they were using, uh, I forget the size of the grid, but they were using a bunch of pixels. So they had like, a, I don't know, 20 megapixel camera that would produce a couple megapixel image in the end, if I remember right, because they were using uh, adjacent pixels to derive information about the direction of the light as well as its you know color and other attributes. So they were capturing each light ray and they could reconstruct the direction. You're basically tracing back where it came from. So they were, they were sort of meta information. The iPhone 7 Plus is using stereoscopic, and so that was a single lens, but by using several pixels, they could derive more information about the direction of each ray of light that was captured. With the iPhone 7 Plus, with two lenses and stereoscopic imaging, you can determine uh, through object identification, which is an AI sort of feature, you can determine by comparing similar features in two images, how uh, uh, the they can actually, uh, you can look at the same feature and see how turned or what angle it is relative to or relative between the two cameras. And so you can make assumptions about depth. And in Apple's system, my recollection is they come up with um, seven discrete levels of depth per object. So it's almost like, you know, pasteboard, you cut stuff out and you stick it at various distances. And that's kind of how it works. So you look at the depth map and it's literally stuff being cut out of uh, at various depths. Like, you know, you could take a piece of paper and cut a photo up and like stack it back, uh, you know, seven layers back and show where everything should be relative to each other. So I don't think they can reconstruct something like Lytro because they can't change mm. the direction of light or like reinterpret where light is coming from. So I don't think you can change the focus with the current technology. I could be wrong. You'd have to take, okay. you might have to take two different focused images, uh, which I'm not sure the bokeh or the portrait mode is doing. Uh, because if you focused um, one lens at one length and another at a different one, then you might be able to interpolate between the two. It's really fascinating, though, because the limits of this haven't been well explored because there hasn't yeah. been commercially available equipment that's this sophisticated with a processor that's, you know, this cool. I'm, I'm working – I'm trying to track down folks in academia who are working on computational photography and saying, like, look, now you have a test bed for certain things. Like, is this – Although, because Apple isn't making both – so Apple captures for every photo in the camera app. It's always firing both cameras, and it often disre disregards most or all the information from one camera. For When you're a third-party developer, you can only access one camera at a time in raw mode, or you can capture the combined camera-style JPEG. So the question will be if Apple opens it up and lets third-party developers grab two raw images at once – that's going to be a huge change. If they also add depth map information as an option, also a big change. Then you might be able to at least do post-editing. So uh, your your camera, your shooter there might be able to go back in and change the depth map and fix, like tuck it in, but still have all that information. So the one eye is now out of focus and, and kind of fix the effect. I think it's just they're going to keep blowing us away with like stuff that this thing can do. So I much mean, it can do. It's it's pretty neat just so far. And but I think what you said, um, it's gonna be overused. I think that was another <laughs> small takeaway that we had because 
So there, we found a couple examples. Like he set up one shot where there was some distracting stuff in the background. Yeah, yeah. And then the blurred out one really got you to focus on what he wanted you to focus on. So that was like good. And then we took another one where she was kind of posing um, with the Bay Bridge in the background. Yeah. And in that one, nobody liked the Boca one. Like we were asking, you know, we, we were taking these around the office and just kind of asking people their opinions about the results. And people were like, oh, I mean, if you were, if you were like, trying to if this was a catalog shoot and you were trying to sell her sweater then maybe the Boca one although uh, what we said earlier about it freezing the face um it was blurring in 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 just face shots that was fine but if you had like a a shot where it was like most of a body or at least just like half of a body it was kind of distracting how like the front of someone's shirt would be blurred Mm -hmm, out um mm -hmm. if they didn't have words on it you could kind of ignore it but anyway so the the bay bridge one we wanted to see the Bay Bridge, so maybe don't, you know, you're you're not going to want to use this every time. It's like when Instagram came out and all of a sudden everyone's pictures were square for like a whole year or two years. I don't know. So it's going to be like that. You don't have to blur everything, but it's really, really fun to play with. And since it saves both, you don't really lose anything by experimenting. And it was a really fun experiment. We had a lot of fun. He did some basic edits with some shots from the iPhone and shots from the SLR and then went around and showed them to people and we fooled a lot of people like they couldn't tell which was shot with the smartphone and which was shot with like a very expensive like Sony 872 I think he used with a you know fancy Canon lens so it's like that's pretty remarkable um that you can get results that will will fake out your friends I think it's a pretty amazing device. I've seen some astonishing photographs. Uh, uh, Folks, if you want to see iPhone 7 Plus images, one of the things you can do is you can go to Flickr.com and uh, you can search there. There's an advanced search that lets you search by camera type. So you can punch in an iPhone. I forget somewhere in the advanced settings. You can. Uh, they actually might have a link. They show. Um, I'll find it. I'll link okay. it in the show notes. Yeah, because they'll show you top photos by. Uh, by camera type. And it's, uh, in fact, right after the iPhone 7 Plus shipped, I started to upload images the Friday that I got the camera. And I looked on uh, Flickr and it was hilarious. I click that link and I saw like all these people in like Apple stores and messing around. And it was fun. It was like only a handful of people had the cameras and were uploading to Flickr. More than, you know, a handful of people had an iPhone 7 Plus. Uh, but it's it's going to be, I don't know. I, I'm thinking about writing a book about iPhone 7 Plus photography because I think it's a new kind of thing you can do. And I think there's a lot of, uh, especially between the apps, raw mode, wide color, like some of the features are in the iPhone 7, but a lot of them are going to, have the best advantage in the iPhone 7 Plus. So I'm, I'm thinking I about know, it. I was so kind of regretting buying the 7 a little bit when we were doing this. I may I switch. Like, I should have gotten the 7 Plus. I'm still on, I still haven't switched to the 7 Plus as my primary phone because it's so big, but I'm still, you know, I may sell my success, pay out the contract. I've gone back and, and forth since I got yeah. the 7 and, and I bought the 7, Apple loaned us the 7 Plus. I still have the SE. I've gone back and forth between all three of them and the seven plus no longer seems too big, but the seven is still more comfortable for me. Well, here's the thing. I mean, this is an amazing point. I think in Apple's lineup is they have three great phones. I mean, they have five. If you count the six S and six S plus are also great and not that much less expensive, but um, the three form factors, I like each of them in a different way. And I never thought I'd like the plus form factor. The camera helps with that, but I also do kind of like more screen space. And it's so vivid. I mean, the P3 screen, the this is the wider gamut color screen, 
and it's brighter too, is really amazing. So, ah, choices, Susie, choices. Uh, <laughs> well, and with 3D Touch, it actually helped the the navigation a little bit. So 3D yeah, Touch absolutely. came out in iOS 9, but it didn't seem quite as useful. But in iOS 10, you can do a lot more from the home screen, like 3D touching icons. And then um, you can even get to like the app switcher by 3D touching the very left edge oh, of the phone. Marking items so, is done. I use, uh, I use a lot of to-do items. And, I, it's, and it, when, you, when it comes up, it says press to hold for more options. So it actually cues you and you hold it down. It's like mark yeah. is completed, opened, bark, you know, later. And it's I use, I use 3D Touch all the time now. And I barely used it in iOS 9. Except that for really helps with the bigger phone yeah. because you can do so much oh. more like one-handed. So it hasn't it, – it really – the the big phone felt more natural to me in iOS 10 than it did in iOS 9. And that might be a combination of just, you know, I've had more time to kind of like my brain's gotten over like the, the jump in size. But part part of it is that iOS 10 is helping to bridge that gap That's with its true. 3D touch goodness. Um, we had a couple other brief news items that we covered uh, before we finished up this week. One was, in case you missed it, folks, uh, Apple Music Unlimited has launched. I have not. Amazon Music. What did I say? I said Apple. You said Apple. Uh, yeah. Apple is on my head. Sorry, Amazon Music Unlimited. Um, and the interesting part is it is uh, $10 a month. And if you have an Amazon Echo, you can uh, get it for $4 a month. Um, so if you have Echo, Echo Dot or Amazon Tap, which I don't even know what that is, frankly. If you have Prime, you get a discount. And if you have Echo, you get an even steeper discount. Oh, what's the Prime discount? I haven't seen that. It's uh, 8 bucks for Prime. I see. Um, and four bucks for Echo. The thing that's funny is I uh, I am using Amazon Prime, whatever they call it. I'm using Amazon Music with the Prime subscription, which has a ton of music that's included for free. So I got rid of my Apple Music subscription. I wasn't using it enough. I had it for several months, listened to a bunch of stuff. And now I'm just kind of messing with the free or the included Prime um, feature. And uh, I don't know that I need Music Unlimited, but it's it's a smart thing. They're tying people into a device. They're giving you an incentive to have purchased uh, an Echo or get an Echo. Mm -hmm. Smart. Um, do you still have, you have Apple Music, right? You've kept your subscription? No, I have Spotify. Oh, Spotify, right? So many competing yeah. options. So, I mean, I had RDO and I loved RDO. And when that went under, I tried Apple Music. I tried Spotify. I had some iCloud, you know, issues. You know, I'm a, a renowned iCloud hater. Um, so I went back to Spotify and I still miss RDO. I'm still not in love with Spotify. I've been thinking about going back to Apple Music, but then I keep remembering how I don't like giving Apple monthly subscription fees for their crappy cloud products. So I don't know. I'm, I'm with Spotify for now. Spotify, I've uh, barely used. I, I need to have more music in my life, clearly. Last Apple puts out one of those speakers, like if Apple does, you know, an Amazon Echo kind of speaker that works really well with Apple Music, I'd probably switch to that. Uh, I don't know why Apple hasn't done that yet. It's weird. They have some lacunae, but I think they're... I don't know. When we look at the then that's another you know place to get AI data and have people inter interacting with your. I gotta figure that out. Um, last thing I want to mention in passing is Google just released this massive font for free um, that I uh, I'm writing something about it for another publication that's very font because I'm such a font nerd. Um, but the uh, the Noto typeface uh, they've been developing a version called that for a while, but this release they came out with is it contains 
every single character in Unicode as of Unicode version 6.1, which is like uh, over 110,000 characters all designed in the same style. And it's free and it's also open source. So it can be modified and distributed. So extended or changed. And it's a fascinating thing. The reason it's, it's interesting is not just from a design standpoint, like, Oh, I could typeset, you know, Chinese and uh, Latin and uh, Nepali all side by side. That'd be great. And they'll all look harmonious. It's also that Unicode increasingly uh, over the years has added lesser spoken languages, uh, people who, you know, languages that fewer people speak. And those languages often have either crappy, you know, frankly, I talked to some type designers, the fonts are either crappy or incomplete, or they don't look good on screen. They might be designed for print or even for like, uh, you know, printing out pieces of paper or for certain kinds of online uses, but they're not good for user interfaces. They're not good for extended online reading in a mobile device or a Kindle style device. And so Google Noto is um, designed to work well on screen and there's lots of variants. And uh, so languages like they have this whole story about Tibetan where they consulted an ex monk, ex Tibetan monk who lives in the Bay area and also work with Tibetan monasteries to review their work. So they would develop these Tibetan letters or characters, but Tibetan is still in a lot of languages are still heavily calligraphically based. They're, you know, they're written by hand often with a pen, um, you know, which is true of Chinese, Japanese, Korean, other ideographic languages, while there's a biz, you know tons of typing, people still write it by hand in a way that I think has been has decreased in Western traditions in uh, you know Europe and America, particularly with Canada. We don't write as much by hand in the same way, and uh, so you know they had these disputes between uh, people who wanted a more modern version of the characters and a less one, and how do you represent a character that has all this richness and detail in a tiny, tiny interface, you know, have it tiny and recognizable to all the speakers of a language. So um, anyway, I think it's a great project and it's uh, because they're giving it away, it's you know going to be used in Android and Chrome OS, uh, but we'll see a lot of it because it'll be able to be used for um, right now. It's a hundred different scripts. So the letters that make up a language and like over 800 languages uh, over time, it'll probably add another hundred scripts and several hundred more languages. Um, so, like, uh, the Cherokee Nation was involved in a consultation for how wow. Noto would look in um, – because Cherokee is written by, you know, many people, but not very many relative to most languages. And um, Cherokee is unique among oral languages that shifted to – or that developed a written form because most Native American languages that have a written form, it was ethno- ethnographers and ling- linguists who came in to, like, provide a written form – uh, the Cherokee Nation, their language was developed, uh, it was turned into a phonetic f- or phonetic representation in distinct letters by Sequoia, who was a tribal member um, in the early 1800s. And that is apparently unique among Amer- Native uh, North American languages. Um, anyway, it's a very interesting subject, and it seems like it's, uh, you know, just more type and whatever. It's like, but no, it's like actually people who could not represent themselves well online or, or even, you know how you can embed fonts in web pages. So they load automatically. You don't have to have them installed on your computer. This was a huge advance. Well, someone can, you know, essentially write in Tibetan or Nepali or any of these scripts that have, there may be licensing issues. So they can't embed the fonts that they have available. The fonts may not display well. They may be missing characters, et cetera, et cetera. They'll be able to take Noto, write web pages in that, embed the font and then anyone anywhere else in the world will see it appropriately. So even far flung diaspora of people who speak or read a certain script will be able to uh, read it. I think it's cool. Preserve culture. That is cool. Yeah. 
That's really cool. It's one of these things where, well, I mean, you know, digital, digital changes often like steamroller, steamrollered out differences. So the rise of like, uh, early forms of things like, I don't know uh, what I want to say, like Latin type online because the internet and computers, a lot of it came from the West. It meant, you know, if your name was Pena, you couldn't get an Enya over the N in your name. The New York Times had this writer whose last name was Pena. They could not typeset an Enya on his name for like 20 years. Like there was a point they could and then they couldn't. And getting back, you know, the Enya is not, in Spanish, is not like a mark. It's a letter. <laughs> it's not like, it's like, well, we have 26 letters and those should be good enough for anybody. I think this is a wonderful expansion. It's like taking Unicode as this universal global format and it's saying, no, 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 we can encompass everybody in this. We don't have to to dumb things down or restrict it to some arbitrary small set. So that's my type rant for this week. <laughs> Beautiful. I just love it. Thank you. Love small. I love cultures that could be extinguished having a way to express themselves. Well, yeah, no, that is super cool. cool. I'm uh, glad you told that story. So Noto, and it works with every platform. So you can get Noto right now. You can get it for, um, it's Noto Sans. They're working on a Serif version. Uh, you can get the whole damn thing, which is hundreds of megabytes, uh, or you can download scripts or lang- uh, uh, versions by script. So uh, like Latin for all the European and uh, Western European and uh, English. And uh, you can download, like I say, Tibetan and Bengali and a bunch of others. It's pretty cool. And uh, boy, you know, the funny thing is, being you know a, a speaker and writer of only things in Latin script, boy, are other languages prettier than ours. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't want to insult our wonderful Roman letters, but uh, you look at something like like Thai or Tibetan or these other script Arabic. They just Arabic is beautiful. They're so beautiful, and um, they're just such a different way. Like the the. The f- there's so much flow and difference, and there's so many different characters. There's more expression, you know, Chinese or any of the the Han derived languages or related languages that have, um, you know, th- ten. I think there's seventy thousand. No, no, I'm sorry. There's eighty thousand ideograms now in Unicode in the current version, and over seventy thousand are in Noto, and they're adding more um, that are just from the Han related languages. Uh, so all of the languages that use those ideograms, all of which are related but slightly different. So you can't just say we'll make Chinese and everyone in Korea can use it because that would be horrible. <laughs> it's culturally wrong, and people don't like the look of certain characters and so forth. So anyway, all right, I've talked about fonts enough, but I've taken us to the end of the show. Fonts, fonts, fonts. Um, Susie, it's great to talk to you, as always. Yes, you too. Thanks for being here again. Always a pleasure. From Cars to Fonts, that's the Macworld Podcast. And folks, you can write us podcast at macworld.com. Find us at macworld.com and leave a comment on the podcast post. You should be hearing this sooner than Saturday because, hey, you know what? Certificate problems probably won't happen again. So we'll be able to, uh, the internet will not thwart us this week. Um, And so I've been Glenn Fleischman, a senior contributor. Probably didn't introduce myself, but you all know who I am. And this has been the Macworld. <laughs> this has been the Macworld Podcast, episode five thirty, for October nineteenth, two thousand sixteen. Come back and join us again next week. <laughs>